Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you. And uh, as Andy was saying, we're uh, continuing our uh, series here, Who Does That? Uh, where we're looking at uh, different uh, characters in the Bible, different uh, people, and usually looking at kind of a moment where something happens that might make you say, like, who does that? But but there's something to learn uh, in that. And uh, this morning, I want to look at Moses. And uh, to kind of set up this kind of the, the moment that we're going to look at here, there's this tension that's going on for years and years and years that kind of plays into this. So I want to highlight just a couple of snapshots of some things that lead into this uh, just time that we're going to look at actually very near the very end of Moses' life. Um, but this tension uh, that is running that leads to all of this is really over the Israelites that he's going to free and, uh, and what God is doing. And of course, the Israelites, God does all of these amazing things to set them uh, free. But there's always this tension, this struggle that they have to have faith in God. Will God really come through? And they face some extraordinarily difficult things. So like we get that, but it's like God keeps coming back and, and doing these amazing things, and yet they still struggle with it. And part of what God is doing, he does through uh, this kind of tool, this gift that he gives Moses, and it is this shepherd's staff, but how God uses it is amazing. So uh, goes through this whole thing with Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh doesn't want to set the people free, but then finally is convinced to do it, and so all the Israelites, they're leaving Egypt, and we get this first snapshot when they are trapped against the Red Sea because Pharaoh is coming after them, kind of, you know, change of heart, uh, and it decides to come after him, and what does God tell Moses to do? But like, you know, raise that raise that shepherd's staff up in the air, and the sea parts, and like the people go through. And you think about seeing something like that, like how that would bolster your faith. But of course, they get through the Red Sea, they get uh, uh, into the wilderness on their way to the Promised Land, and things are tough. Like there's not much food, there's not much water, and there's this time when they uh, don't have enough water, and they start uh, feeling fearful. They begin grumbling, and, and Moses is like, you know, but this is the God that, you know, splits the Red Sea, and the, but they're struggling with it. And so God, uh, this other snapshot, God says, okay, Moses, I'll take care of them. You take that staff and hit the rock, and they're in this area called Meribah. And he hits the rock, and water begins gushing out. And they're kind of like they're saved all over again. And it's not long after this uh, that they're attacked by the Amalekites. And they see the Amalekites coming. This battle is going to ensue. And of course, they're filled with fear and trepidation. Uh, and God says, like, I got this. I got this. And he has Moses climb up on this hill. And what does he have Moses do? But, like, raise that shepherd's staff up in the air. And every time he raises the staff, like, the Israelites begin to win the battle. And if he lowers his staff, you know, his arms get tired, they start to lose the battle. And so they actually prop up his arms. And when he raises that staff, like, they start winning uh, the battle again. I was kind of thinking, that if Sean Miller had a clipboard like that, it would be awesome, right? If just raise the clipboard up there and man, three-pointer starts sinking, you know? It's just, <clears throat> but it doesn't work that way, all right? Um, and uh, they go through all of these things and there's this constant tension where they struggle to trust God and Moses is leading them through the wilderness. They get to the edge of the promised land uh, on the Jordan, ready to cross over into the promised land. And they send in these spies, and the spies come back, and they're like, oh, we can't do it, right? Except for two of them. But the rest of the spies are like, we can't do it. There's giants in the lands and fortified cities and just like, and, and it's this real trying time. 
And of course, they kind of back out. They, they won't do it. Even after all of the stuff that they've seen God do, all of the things that they've seen Moses uh, do, just with a stick, right? Like God is amazing. And yet, like there's this tension that they can't get uh, past. And, and maybe you've known someone that has had these struggles. Maybe it's the same struggle. And it's like God does something to deliver them. But when they face it again, there's like they kind of relive that whole tension. And there's this kind of struggle. Maybe there's an issue like that in your life. And you find yourself like struggling with that. And, and for Moses, I think he loves the people, but like, they drive him crazy sometimes just with this whole thing and they refuse to go in and so they have to wander in the wilderness for 40 more years and they finally come back and now where we're going to pick up the story is um, they're back uh, to the point uh, they're at Meribah and they're they're very close to now going back into the promised land and the tension is will they make it like well are they going to finally trust God in this? But here they are once again, grumbling and complaining, and, and you can just see the faith seeping out of them. And so uh, we pick up the story here. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Numbers, because uh, they're back to this place where um, they're out of water, they're struggling to trust God, and they begin complaining, quarreling uh, with Moses here. And here's where I want to uh, pick up uh, this story. And this is back in that area around Meribah. And here's what it says. Look at verse 3. It says, They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers uh, fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt uh, to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, or grapes, or grapevines, or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. And you can just picture Moses going, and that's why I keep trying to take you in to the land of, the, of milk and honey. Like, and there's probably grapes, and pomegranates, and raisins there too. Like, it's, like, I'm trying in this thing. But there's this struggle of faith that they have uh, over this uh, whole thing, and it, and it becomes this issue. So here's what God does, right? And again, we see this tension. We see this pattern. Uh, look down at verse 7, and this is God speaking to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. Um, kind of interesting here. Uh, instead of uh, hitting the rock, he says, Just, like, talk to that rock. And I don't know what that would have been like exactly, you know, like... Hello, Mr. Rock. We're really thirsty around here. You seem like a nice rock, you know? Like, I don't know. Just like a giant pet rock. And he wants Moses to talk to the rock, all right? Uh, and water will come forth. So uh, here's what Moses uh, does. Look at, uh, look at verse uh, 9. Uh, Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. <laughs> Can you just feel the compassion and the tenderness and all the patience that he has for these people struggling to have faith in God? Yeah, not so much. Um, he says, Must we bring you water out of the rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out in the community, and their uh, livestock drank. Now, um, kind of an obvious thing here, but um, what did God clearly tell Moses to do? 
Yeah, talk to the rock. Mr. Rock, we need some water, right? Uh, but Moses clearly does something else. What? Strikes the rock. Uh, similar to what he did before. And uh, this thing that happens here, it becomes a big deal, right? It becomes a big deal that, that Moses didn't do what God asked him to do. And we may look at that and go, that's kind of strange. And there's a... Uh, a lot of different things that scholars have looked at uh, over the ages as to why this was such a serious thing. Uh, the Bible speaks of it uh, at one point, and we'll look at this uh, briefly later, this idea that he, he broke, he and Aaron broke faith with God in this moment. Uh, but whatever the reason, that's not what this morning is about. Um, but what I want to look at this morning about this is, is the consequence of this plays out in a really regretful way for Moses. Because whatever the reason ultimately for this, what God says to Moses is, because of this, the consequence is, you and Aaron can't go into the promised land. I, now think about this. Moses has, he's been working on the get the people out of Egypt project for 80 years, right? And now he doesn't get to go in? Like, Talk about disappointing or like regret. Like, like he must have been going like, what did I do? Like, I, like you know, but, but you feel the tension. He's been with these people and their struggle over faith. And once again, like we're getting close to going in and you're back at this place where you're fighting and arguing with me over like, will God take care of us? Like, we've like, look at all that God has done. Um, and, and yet... And yet, how Moses reacts to it, it becomes this thing. It becomes this mistake. It becomes this thing he can't take back. Has there ever been a time when you've done something and you just go, man, I regret that. I wish, I wish I could take that back. Well, sure. Like we, because we're human, we on, on a large scale, on a small scale, we're going to do things that create that sense of regret. Um, Give you an example of this out of, out of my own life. Years ago, years and years ago, um, Angie and I were uh, on a trip, and, and you have to know this. This plays out, especially when Angie and I travel. Uh, like on personality scales, have you ever heard of like the Myers-Briggs? It looks at all these different personality components. And one of the kind of continuums is between what they call J and P. And if you're more J, you like things structured, organized. You like to have everything on your calendar, you know, lined up. If you know something's coming up, you want to get the date and the time because like there's something secure about that. If you're uh, more on the P side of this, you, you like it open-ended. You don't like it once it's on the calendar, then like you're trapped, right? You like a more unstructured way of life, right? So this is wonderful in a marriage, you know, to be completely different. Like Angie's more J, I am more P. It's great until it's not, okay? And one of those times when it's not is when you're traveling and like you're going to catch a plane. And so we were in Texas and we had to, it's probably a two or three hour drive to uh, Austin where we were going to catch our flight. Uh, and it was my job to plan out what time we needed to leave. Right? I worked on that, you know, based on, you know, when the airplane was going to take off. And you need to know this about me. 
I'm definitely a P. Like, I hate just hanging out in an airport, right? You go through security and you're in some concourse, you're kind of trapped in there until your plane leaves. Ideally, I love to plan it out so that, so that when I get to the airport, I don't need to sit down until I walk on the plane. Like, like if I get to my gate and they're not boarding yet, oh, like, I love it when they're like halfway through the boarding process. The line's a little shorter. I, yeah, you all are J's that I can, you're like, whoa, man. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. And so, so that's me. You know, if I, if I get to the gate and I'm the last one on the plane, I'm very okay uh, with that. Angie's not so much that way, okay? Like the suggestion they have about um, like when you should get to the airport like so many hours before it, your flight leaves, like Angie like takes that seriously. Uh, yeah, okay. So we're, we're, I time it all out and we had to get a ride from someone else that took us to the airport and they're going a little slower than what my schedule had and you know, as we're going, I'm thinking, man, this is gonna get really tight. And my schedule's probably a little tight to begin with. And so uh, it gets tighter and tighter, and I'm like, we got to hurry. Like, and we get there, and we get to the security check-in thing, and the line's a little long, and the folks running the security thing just weren't in a hurry at all, right? No, none, of the, none of the security checkpoint people, you know, where they run your bags through the, the machines and stuff, like none of them had a shirt that said, you know, hustle or something like that. You know, it's just like, you know. And now it's like, it's right on the edge. And wouldn't you know it, our gate is at like the end of the concourse, you know. So you've got the furthest like walk, run, jog thing to get there. And we hustle down there. We do our walk, jog, run to get down to the gate. We get there and there's no plane at the gate because it's already left. Yeah, yeah. Man, did that wreck the rest of my day that day. Because Angie and I had a little conversation about it right there in the airport as we sat down and looked out that big glass window in the concourse and watching airplanes taking off and wondering, I wonder which one of those airplanes are our airplane that's leaving right now as <laughs> it's going off, right? Um, so the truth is, I didn't, I made a mistake. I didn't plan enough time uh, to, to get there. Like that was on me. And, and I regretted that. Cause like, it's one thing if I miss a plane, which I do, I miss planes occasionally, okay? But it's another thing when your wife who doesn't like to miss planes, who likes to be on time, like, like it just, you know, you know exactly what I mean by this, right? It was not an enjoyable rest of the day. And like, I felt that sense of regret over like, you know, if only I, you know, we had left earlier, have I done this differently, right? Um, like, we all understand that sense of regret. Maybe, maybe that regret is over a decision you made about how late to, st uh, you know, stay out when you had an early morning meeting and that next day that meeting came and like, you're just, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Or maybe it was something more serious. Maybe it was words that you spoke in a heated moment and later regretted because those words had an edge to them and you hurt someone, someone you didn't want to hurt that way. Or maybe, maybe you gave in to a temptation and, and, just, and that's not what you wanted to do. And yet there was a moment and you look back and you regret giving in to that temptation, whatever that was. Um, what's interesting is the book of Deuteronomy kind of captures 
uh, Moses' feelings on this. Um, we're going to look in Deuteronomy here in a moment, but Deuteronomy is an interesting book in that it really captures this time frame between the event that we just read out of Numbers and all the way to the end of his life. And it's, it's Moses speaking to the people. It's written down, and it's him conveying all of these things, going back to this event at Meribah where he strikes the rock and now has all of this regret over not being able to go into the promised land all the way through his death. And we kind of get some insight into just where uh, Moses was. So uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3. And you kind of get a feel for this, and I don't think I've got a slide for this, but he starts off in verse 23 this way. He says, Again, this is him talking to the people. He says, At that time I pleaded with the Lord, O oh, sovereign Lord, you have begun to show to your servant your greatness and, how, and your strong hand. And he's going like, you know, I, I, you know, uh, you know I, I get it, God. I blew it. And he goes on in verse 25, and he makes this request. Verse 25. Uh, Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country, and Lebanon. Let, like, let me see Lebanon. Let me walk in the hill country. Let me, let me step foot um, into the promised land. He's asking God to be able to do this. Uh, and again, he's when Deut the way he's telling this story, he's relaying this to the people and he's saying, you know, there was a time after that thing at Meribah when I pleaded with God to let me, to let me go uh, into the promised land. But now look at the next verse. Here's how he walks this out. He says this, verse uh, 26. But because of you, now who's the you? The Israelites. He's looking, you know, look at the Israelites and he's like, but because of you, right? Um, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. Now, what, like, what just happened there in this moment? Like, he's looking at this thing and he's saying, you know what? Yeah, I got a lot of regret. I don't get to go in the promised land. And it's your fault, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, if you guys would have had enough faith to make it in the promised land 40 years ago, like, I've already been in there. And you guys, you struggle with this thing. And it's just, and it's just like, you know, if, if you could have gone the speed limit, I bet we could have gotten to the airport on time. I bet if just a little bit of hustle through the security area, just, you know, keep things moving, we probably could have gotten there. If, if the gate would have just been closer, we would have made our flight, right? It would have been perfect. We could have just walked right on and taken our seats, right? But no, right? And there's this blame thing that goes on, you know? And what God does say to Moses in this, he says, so Moses... Here's what I, I do uh, want for you. I'm going to have you climb a mountain nearby the promised land. So when all the people are going in, you're going to climb up on this mountain. And from that mountain, you'll be able to see over the Jordan into the promised land itself. And you're going to watch the people go in. Kind of like sitting in a concourse, looking through that glass, watching planes take off that you're not on, right? That's what you get to do, Moses. And for Moses, it's like he's blaming them. And, and you feel the tension over it because in some ways, well, well, sure. Like if they would have been different, he could have made it uh, in there. But there's this struggle with him to maybe not necessarily own what happened at Meribah. And part of him's taking it out. And, and we get that, don't we? Ever have a really bad day at work and like you get home and, and you take it out on people around you? Or you're under a ton of stress and, 
and, and you lash out at somebody who just, you know, maybe they're asking an innocent question or they just push back on something and, and you, you don't match the tenor of it like you, like you, you, you lash out. Right? Or you give in to that moment of temptation and you just think, well, if that wasn't there, if that temptation wasn't there, if somebody wouldn't have done this or that, that somehow I wouldn't be in this. And that's kind of where he is. And this is the Moses we see in chapter 3 of Deuteronomy. But here's what I want you to notice. Is uh, Deuteronomy, uh, when it gets close to its uh, end, the story unfolds where now it's time for Moses to climb up on that hill and he's going to watch the people go in. But right before, he go, right before he climbs up the mountain, he gathers up the people and he shares a few things with them. And he actually begins sharing some specific things with each of the different tribes that are there. And I want to just show you or read to you one snippet of what he says to one of the tribes, the tribe of uh, Joseph. And this is found in Deuteronomy 33, uh, verse 13 about Joseph, and he's referring to the whole tribe. About Joseph, he said, may the Lord bless uh, his land with the precious dew of heaven above and with the deep waters that lie below, with the best the sun brings forth and the finest the moon can yield, with the choicest gifts of the ancient mountains and the fullness of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the burning bush. What is he doing here? He's blessing them. He's blessing them. Now, here's what I want you to get. There is something happens over the course of 30 chapters in Deuteronomy. He goes from blaming them to blessing them. He goes through every tribe and then all of them, and he blesses them. And then he goes up on that mountain and he watches them cross over. Now, who does that? Who does that when one of, when one of the biggest regrets you have, that there's a part of you that wants to blame someone, who turns around and then with a whole heart blesses that person? Who does that? Well, Moses does. And that's the lesson that I want us to look at here this morning because it's kind of a simple lesson, but it's a really, really profound one. Um, how does he go from blame to blessing? Because we're all going to have moments of regret that come out of something relational that we're in. And it can become really easy to become stuck in blame. But Moses makes it from blame to blessing. And part of what happens uh, with Moses in here, as he does, he goes down this other path. And as he goes from, uh, what I'm going to say is, he goes from like regret uh, to blame. There's this little step in between those that we probably all experience. And it's we go from regret to shame, right? That thing that happened that we regret so much. And it's so easy to feel shame uh, over that. And shame, when you think about shame, shame is simply... Uh, there's a difference between uh, believing you did something wrong and believing that you're wrong, right? And shame is that you're wrong. It's something about your personage that is flawed deeply. Not that you did something flawed or wrong. Um, and here's the reality. The human spirit struggles to simply carry the weight of shame. It's an awful thing on the human spirit. 
And what do we naturally want to do? Blame. Like, like, I, like I've, got to, I've got to push some of this weight off on somebody else. What's interesting is how sometimes we'll even blame ourselves. Um, but that kind of blame it isn't necessarily ownership. Oftentimes you know, you'll see someone like, oh, you know, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did that. What kind of person am I? And, and it's easy to think that that sort of thing is like taking ownership of something that we've done wrong. But the reality is it's, it's blaming. It's heaping shame uh, up on yourself. It's kind of like a, a shaming of uh, language. In fact, we see this with Moses. There's a part of this where he actually uses some shaming language. Uh, in that first part I read out of chapter three, he says these words and he says, you know, because of you, God won't even listen to me, he says. Well, that's just not true. God listened to him. God listened to him constantly. In fact, the very thing that Moses talks about there, God listened to him. It's just Moses didn't like what God had to say there. But it's this shaming, there's like there's something, like what you did, now, now God doesn't even like, who God won't even listen to me anymore, see? And that shame pulls us into this point of blaming others or blaming ourselves, and, it's, and we get stuck there. Um, you see an example of blaming yourself with the story of the prodigal son, right? Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son who does this very regretful thing, takes his entire inheritance, blows it in a foreign country, wrecks his life, comes back, right? And he has this speech that he's worked out for his dad, you know? I have sinned, you know, under heaven and earth, and I've sinned before you, and I'm so sorry. I don't, and here's his words, I don't even deserve to be your son. Make me like one of the hired hands, See, that's shaming himself. I, I don't, I'm not even worthy to be your son. But he is a son. What's interesting in the story that Jesus tells, what does the father do when the prodigal son is blaming himself, heaping shame on himself? The father says, stop. Interrupts him. Won't even let him finish the speech. Because ultimately, that's not the thing that God's looking for in this. Because that always pulls us into this place to get stuck. What I find interesting is that Moses takes this shift from regret into a different direction. And, and part of what I want to walk out this morning is this idea that regret, regret uh, is neither a good thing nor a bad thing all of the time. What, I, what I'd like to put forth is this idea that when we do something that creates a sense of regret, it can lead to shame and blame that is, just gets us stuck and is bad. Or that regret can go a different direction and actually become something very good. And that's the shift that Moses makes here. Um, and, it's, and it's really two things. And, and the first one is this. It's moving from regret to accepting. And, and by accepting, I mean these things. It starts with this. Accepting that you made a mistake just accepting the fact that, that there are going to be times, moments, where we're going to give in to temptations. There are going to be times and moments where we won't know for sure because we're human and, and we're going to be in circumstances and we're going to make a decision and it's not going to work out. And we could look back with hindsight and say, man, I could have done that better. There'll be moments when you make a bad decision and you know better. You don't need hindsight to tell you it was a bad decision. But accepting the fact that you made a mistake is really, really important. It, like, to be able to own it in that way. Um, 
And you see this with Moses. There comes a point when he actually speaks to what it was that he did, and he doesn't blame the Israelites. He says, I broke faith with God. Like he knew better. And regardless of how we read that moment, I'm like, man, that's, a, you know, a severe punishment for just, you know, hitting a rock. You know, rocks don't have feelings. Like, but there was something there. And Moses, instead of trying to blame it off, yeah, I, I broke faith with God is the way he explains it. Um, it's interesting, this past uh, couple of days this weekend, uh, it's been a little tension-filled around the Bartow house, right? Uh, there's only three of us there right now, right? My son's off in college, my daughter Colette's there, and uh, we're trying to sell one of our cars. Angie uh, wants to sell her car, and so we're trying to get it ready, and there's other things that I want to do rather than get a car ready to sell, and, the, and both of them were working on it, and then I started working on it, and then you're trying to you know, get the listing ready and all this stuff, and we just got on each other's nerves, and then I think it was Friday night, Angie, uh, Coley's car breaks down in the middle of the night out on Oracle, and it's just like, I don't have time for this, and I'm just like, I'm sick of car stuff right now, and I just, and we were kind of all in a bad mood for whatever, multiple reasons, but we just kept getting on each other's uh, nerves. And there was one point where I was in the, I think it was yesterday, I was in the kitchen and Angie asked me about something and I just, and I was sick of answering questions about whatever. And my response, my response was just not kind. I don't remember what it was exactly, but it had that perfect blend of, you know, someone else could hear this and might not think much of it, but because you know me so well, you know exactly the buttons I'm pushing in you and what I'm doing, right? And it just, it wasn't kind. And, and we kind of went on, and then it just, it hit me. Like, that, I regretted it. Like, I said something out of my frustration, and I took it out on Angie. And so it just became a moment where it's just like, okay, I'm going to go walk in the other room. And I did. I went and walked in the other room and I said, so what I said to you in the kitchen a minute ago, I apologize because that just like, that's, that I was frustrated and I took it out on you and that's what I did. Period. Right? It's just what I did. And, and, and there's this important step of being able to say, I accept the fact that I made a mistake. And the second thing with this, very similar but very important too, and it's this, accepting the fact that there are consequences, right? Um, when, I, when I say things, when my daughter and my wife say things to me, and there was a lot of it going on this uh, weekend at the Bartow house. We had just, we were not all in a good mood, uh, all of us. And there are just consequences to that, right? When we say things that are little digs to people around us, guess what? They may not go, oh, that was so nice, thank you. Say that again to me right now, right? It creates tension in a, in a relationship. Um, when we make mistakes, when we give in to temptation, whether it's finances or a moral issue or a, a relational issue, there are consequences to it, right? Make, make a mistake financially, there's consequences to it. Make a moral uh, uh, mistake, there's consequences to it. But accepting it, letting the consequences be, and there's something that happens with Moses here. He stops fighting God in this whole thing uh, and just accepts the fact, you know what? Um, I'm gonna watch the people go into the promised land and I'm gonna get to see it, but I'm not gonna get to go into it. 
But the third thing here that becomes really important to actually be able to do these first two, and I talked a lot about this in a sermon two or three weeks ago, and it's this. It's accept that regardless of whatever your mistake was, you are accepted. And this is really important. Um, The prodigal son had to accept that no matter how much shame he heaped up on himself, that he should just be a hired hand, that in his father's eyes, he was still a son and was always a son and never stopped being a son. And that in our worst mistakes, we're still every bit as accepted by God as we are right now. That to be in Christ is to be accepted. And, and when we can accept that we do things wrong or own what we did wrong, accept the consequences, but accept that I'm still okay with God, it empowers us to do this next thing that becomes so important. Um, and it's this, um, it's to go from accepting to learning. This is where regret can become this amazing teacher, that if you can have regret but accept those things, then all of a sudden you, you have this opportunity uh, to learn and it becomes this beautiful thing. Um, you know, Moses, you should read the, let me read it real quick. I skipped one verse in here that I want to go back and, and read, and it's this. Um, one of the things that he learns is about this acceptance. And if you look at the very end of Deuteron- Deuteronomy chapter 34, it ends in this way, uh, verse 10. And you see how God really does think about Moses. Verse 10, it says this. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face who did all of those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his officials and to the whole and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in sight of, in sight of all of Israel, right? So Moses made a mistake, but he was still every bit as accepted by God as ever, right? And it's out of being able to accept that that Moses is able to learn some things, and he does. He learns that he still has a role in sending the people into the promised land. He learns that he has a role in setting up Joshua, the next leader. In fact, uh, the verse right before the one I just read to you, look at verse 9 here. Here's, here's, this is out of what Moses learned. It says this, verse 9. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Why? Because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord commanded Moses. Like, not only does he bless the people, he learned how to set up Joshua, how to set up Joshua to lead those people in the land, a land he wasn't going to get to go into, right? A land he was going to sit on the hill and watch him go into. But it's through learning that he became a blessing. And I'm here to tell you, when we can look at our regret, not as the thing that shames us into losing our sense of dignity, but as the thing that despite making a mistake teaches us, then you grow from it, right? Um, uh, yesterday, or, or last night, Angie and I were kind of joking about this uh, whole weekend, that how much, like, we've just been on each other's nerves and on Coley's nerves, and she's been on our nerves, and we've been like, just, like, we've not been a good picture of the sweet little Christian pastor family, okay? Nothing of the sort, right? 
And we reminisced, we said, you know, 15 years ago, this would be a lot different right now. We, we would have had maybe the same scenario play out, but 15 years ago in our marriage, we, there would be like all of the underwriting tension and it would all still be there. We would, there'd be more blaming and just, well, you know, if you're the one in the bad mood and, you know, um, and last service, I, I said, you know, and, and in all of our years of marriage, and I couldn't remember how long we were married. <laughs> I know. I was like, well, it's been just, you know, um, and I was like, but it's a good thing she wasn't in that service because I thought she was going to be in this service, but she was in that service. So I made another mistake and I owned it in front of the whole church and said, I'll learn from this. We've been married 28 years. Yes, I got it in my head. Yes, yeah. Well, thank you. (laughs) But 28 years of going through lots of times where we get on each other's nerves and there's tension and we want to blame the other person but learning how to just accept, like, okay, there's going to be moments and in my frustration, I'm not going to be my best self. There are going to be moments when Angie is frustrated, tired, and right, and she's not going to be the best person that God has made her to be. But it's okay. And there's room for grace. And it just created this different moment. And we laughed about it. We were like, 15 years ago, we wouldn't be laughing right now. We're just, we're looking at each other and laughing at all this tension right now. Let's go get a milkshake. And <laughs> so we did. And instead of just letting all the tension eat away at us, it's just like, let's just bless each other. Let's give each other some grace. Let's, let's go get a milkshake and then we'll come back and we'll just go in separate rooms and let's just, just give each other some space and we'll be a way better family tomorrow. And we will, right? We'll like each other again, right? But that's the beauty. That's the beauty of going through regret that can actually become a teacher because you can accept the truth of who you are, but the truth of who God says you are and grow from it, and go from blaming to blessing. And as you face those same things in your life, may you find your way to to learn and grow and be a blessing. Um, I'm gonna close this in prayer here in a moment, but before I do, I just wanna say to all of you who are guests this morning, so good to have you here. Just, it's a joy to have you join us here this morning. And I would love to shake your hand. I'm gonna be right back in this area we call the living room area. And I'm gonna be back, you just come right on back there. I'd love to shake your hand. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe there's some regret that you're struggling with this morning and you'd love to have someone pray for you. Um, We've got some wonderful folks in our prayer place over here uh, that will pray with you or for you here this morning. I invite you to do that as well. Why don't you stand and uh, let me close us this morning. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace and we thank you for your unwavering acceptance of us and we pray that that you would teach us, that you would um, allow us to grow, give us that path to turn regret into wisdom and into a way to bless others and ourselves and our church. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great morning.